Everything's a guesstimation in the end of the day. That's an SAT word, guesstimation. I don't even think it's a word. Guesstimation. My name's Noah Lack, and your favorite athletes know a lot more about business than you think. Welcome to Athletes and Assets. I just wanted to see what you're going to do in awkward silence. Um, okay, let's go. I'm back again with another episode with my guy, Rex Fluger, acting as my co-host. Thank you, Rex, for uh, hopping on the pod and sharing your just profound wisdom, extreme knowledge from the heavens of, or the mountaintops of Dana Point, or the cliffside. Thank you, Thank you yeah. for having me, Donald. Love yeah, to the, be here. The, the cliffside, the, the hills, whatever you want to call it. Rex, you're doing uh, great. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> Rex, we do Rex, have all of those things, so you, you are 100% right on all of that, though. What, the cliffs and the hills? The cliffs, the hills, the mountains, the beaches, the snowing. We got a little bit of everything within, like, two hours from here. Okay, but the snow and stuff is not in Orange County, so you don't have everything. You, It's in proximity, but you only have, you have beach, you have cliffs in Orange County. I know, but it's close enough. If you can drive in two hours there, that's fine. That's basically Orange County. <laughs> I'm recording, so I just... I'm, you're, claiming, you're... I'm claiming Orange County doesn't claim everything, but we claim that we have the amenities of everything. Are you claiming the closest ski hill uh, that you get to is part of Orange County? I would like to rescind my, my, my previous comments because I do not want the people of Orange County to come after me. So I will not be speaking for Orange County anymore. Okay. That is it. Okay. <laughs> That's probably not it. probably not the answer you wanted. But it's I'm okay. trying to say I'm trying to save my butt just in case. Yeah, no. Hey. <laughs> hey, hey man, look, you got to do what you got to do. Look, Rex, you're you're a, a business professional, okay? You're you got an MBA. I think many may say you're seasoned for your age. I don't know if that's true. We're going to act like it is. A part of what you do, you go to a lot of conferences, don't you? Yes, or I a do. decent amount. When you go to these events, um there's people in the room that you really want to talk to, probably. There's people in the room that like you just want to avoid, but there's probably a lot of people you don't know about yet. And once you start speaking to them and getting to hear them and you guys are exchanging information, et cetera, I'm sure your filtering mechanism or whether this is this person is a value, a contact or, or whatnot, or it can be, you're you can decipher quickly um, if someone is, you know, worth speaking to longer, worth your time or sort of like, okay, thank you, but on to the next conversation. What are some things that you, you look for when you go to these things in events that you're talking to people? Definitely, I like to see the engagement from the other person, you know whether or not they're actually listening to what I'm saying and then responding towards the comments that I'm making because it's easy to get lost in uh, a certain just nothing nothingness conversation when you're speaking with someone because realistically the person doesn't care or and I would say like an example of that is like watching their eyes wander while you're speaking to them not looking at you firmly not actively nodding or disagreeing with your comments and giving valuable input back so it's i wouldn't say it's a red flag but it's something that you can see in business that right away like maybe there's something you can work on as well maybe it's the way that you're delivering your pitch the way you make your introduction within those conference aspects but you know it's just watching actively watching and making sure that that person's actively listening to you you have you ever talked to someone you guys exchange information or whatever what have you and at the end of the conversation that person goes 
awesome. I will for sure reach back out to you and follow up. And and the first thing that comes to your mind is there's no shot this guy is gonna like reach out to me. Like that was a fake. Is like you ever like you ever you ever experienced already that? like leaving? The, yeah, they're just already leaving the conversation <laughs> while they're saying that as well. It's just like yeah, it's like especially when you have to be the one that has to ask for their card because they don't offer it to you. You have yeah. to be like, hey, can I get your card? And they're like. Fine, I'll give yeah. you my card. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna email you. He's like, I know. <laughs> but that's the beautiful thing is because maybe he was not in the mood or she wasn't in the mood that day to speak with me. But then maybe I didn't deliver my pitch well. You still need to be confident enough to ask for that card because maybe they didn't hear hear your true spiel about what your business can add value to theirs. And so you get that card for them. You get their email address or their phone number, call them up or email them. And then you have, you're a little bit more poised and practiced to deliver the message that you want to say to them. And then all of a sudden you, you find something that just creates synergy. And so it's like you can turn that bad moment into a good moment is what yeah. I'm saying basically. Yeah. Listen, I don't want to knock you off your pivot here. You're, you're onto something here. I just know. I just know when someone says, yeah, show me a note. Shoot me a note. I, I'm getting rejected like the Kemi Matumbo at the rim. Like there's, they're not responding to to my follow up message. Like I don't, I don't think this is, I don't think this is just like a California thing. People are, they're unaware how fake they sound. It is true that you definitely hear that out of California. And I was like, well, maybe it's because in California, a lot of people, like we're not as upfront. I don't want to yeah. generalize California, but. Like in the East Coast or in Chicago, you know, these people are going to tell you when you do something wrong. Yeah. And then they're not going to be nice about it. It's like over in California, sometimes people could be a little bit more timid because they don't want to hurt your feelings. But then realistically, it actually comes off even worse because you know you might have messed up. But then this person is just like kind of like, yeah, you're whatever. It's fine. I prefer the East Coast mentality over the West Coast mentality for sure. For sure. But we do have great people in the West Coast, so I don't want to take away from that. But by far, I would say I'd rather hang out with the East Coast. D- different different, uh, different interaction, different way of interacting, and um, a different way of saying no. In California, a lot of ways people say no is like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yes? So, so are yeah. you really saying yes? Or are you just telling me to send me a note, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gotta go on a little little tangent here. I don't go on LinkedIn that much, but when I do, obviously people are active on LinkedIn. They see your LinkedIn resume. Maybe it doesn't reflect exactly your your entire resume, but let's assume it does. Um, if someone is telling me they're they're doing this and this and that, and I go on their LinkedIn, they have like forty they have like forty different job experiences under the age of thirty five. I kind of run for the hills there. I don't know if you've you've seen that in in um, your experiences when you talk to maybe a potential LP or you know someone else who is in the real estate industry and they're a partner here and they have this and they started this. That's like a huge red flag to me. Bro, what are you really working on? Mm-hmm. How are you adding value to that company that you work for them? If you worked there for six months, how did you actually add any type of value in regards to like making the business better? You can't do yeah. that in six months. You need to spend time in there. Do you got to? It probably takes you up to six months to actually understand all the operations and processes that go through that company. 
quick little tangent on that as well is that my boss go, go crazy, go crazy. Well, he he, he loves like he tells I, me this, and I I fully believe in that from my my current position of reaching out and trying to form partnerships with other LPs, institutions, and whatnot. That it's not the don't look at the job title of the the person that you're speaking to, because if you think that title is exactly who they are, then there's a good chance it's not actually because there's about a thousand presidents in J.P. Morgan. Vice presidents, executives, whatnot. But who? Mm. what really matters is who's actually making the decisions. Who's the one that says, yes, we're going to allocate $100 million to this fund? Who is that person? That's the person I want to talk to. And that's a lot about what my job is, actually, is trying to do some research and discovering the discovery process of talking to different people within the industry and trying to figure out who's the right person to put my my company's information in front of. Wow, that is, um, I'm really glad you brought that up actually because in venture capital, nowadays what I'm seeing is everyone is a partner. Usually if you're a partner, that is the decision maker of the person, the de- person deciding, okay, I'm going to invest the company's dollars and put it, write a check for this company. But now I see partner for operations, associates. Um, did I did I did I botch that? I say associates. Associates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you didn't say that. You didn't say that. Financial controller. Is this a defense mechanism so we all don't reach out to the actual partner? Or oh, you might have oh, figured. Oh. Okay, we're on to something there. We're on to something. Uh, the less sexy alternative. Well. It's just the other alternative is maybe because in venture it's a it's a brand such a status brand sort of field that let's not create this external hierarchy to, to other people um, looking at us. Let's give everyone a flat title within our team. We know who's who. Mm-hmm. But when I see someone who's a partner who's not actually a partner, I'm like, bro, you're not actually a partner. <laughs> so what are you even doing? <laughs> what are you? What are, what are you partnering? <laughs> what are, you, are you? Are you? Are you creating any new decisions or new roles within the company? Are you expanding like the different business lines? It's that is like I would like love to hear more of your input on the venture capital side. It's like what is like a day to day look like for a partner in VC? Um. So as someone who's been around partners not actually one myself i have to preface this i don't have this all-encompassing evaluation but in my opinion and this is this is a a spicy take but the best vcs are like semi-retired because you've made your money now you have an opportunity because you've been successful in something else or maybe you've just been in the game for a long time you spend a couple hours a day meeting with companies stretching yourself incredibly thin with meetings as much as the board meetings of companies you're already on, taking care of the companies you're already invested in. VCs all do it a little differently. Now, a lot of the tier one venture firms here in Silicon Valley, they're actually back to in-person. So it's office life for a lot of these guys again, but the big time partners make their own rules, man. Even if firms are in person, these guys can travel, do whatever they want, work from home, and they have an incredible team, sometimes one or two EAs who structure their day for them um, and and make sure they're an extension of their family um, in terms of listing out their day. So I can't sit here and give you an answer of like 7 a.m. they do this and then at 10 10 a.m. they like do that, but it's a combination of listening to pitches, 
continuing to stay sharp on what they're looking to invest in, meetings of the fund, like meeting with other team members about fund organization or you know news or whatever, but also checking up on the companies that they're already invested in. Um, I think we think about VCs who are always looking at the next thing, but I think some of the best VCs are very invested involved in the companies they're already invested in. So again, they're on their board, they wanna, they wanna make things, they wanna open doors, they wanna make things move. Um, so that was a really long answer, but um, I think that's a lot of, that's what you see at a lot of really good uh, venture partners. Yeah, and you said best VCs, like best partners. Can you kind of extrapolate that a little bit more? Because when you say best, are you saying in terms of getting business done, like getting deals done where it's the, the company itself is bringing the most money or the best in investing that money into other companies? Venture in terms of like, if you look at the Midas list, the Midas list is a list of the top VCs. It's like the ESPN 100 of, of uh, top prospects, but these VCs, the previous year, the ones that had invested in the companies with the most exits, had the most returns for their fund, they get put on this Midas list. And on the Midas list, you see a lot of reoccurring people because, man, they're, they've just been doing this for a while and they've been, they've been killing it. Look, I think best is subjective, but best means results. Which VCs have gotten the top returns? That's like, that's in my, like, that's who the best the best venture capital firms, Sequoia, Andreessen, Excel, uh, Bessemer, et cetera, like th people say they're the best because they've gotten the best returns. So when you say, when when you're like, what is a best the best VC? The best VC is one that's had a lot of really good returns. Now, okay, what VCs are very value add? Like what makes a good VC to work with as a startup founder? What is the dream VC for me to work with? And I think a lot of startup founders complain that the VC comes in, they they put money in the round, and then they're kind of there when they need them or when things are going well, but when things are going bad, you know the VCs that you don't want to work with are the ones that kind of shy away in adversity. Um, like the Silicon Valley bank crisis, when startups had to make decisions on were they gonna pull their funds into other banks. Um, the best VCs were there to help them and, and, and be there by their side, offer them extra money, the worst VCs were on Twitter and complaining and uh, going, ah, and like not doing much. So mm -hmm. that's a great point. You know, so there's best, okay, great returns. And then there's like value add. Okay, like what makes someone very helpful? That's how I split the two. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I feel like on my side too, it's like the best ones, like you said, it's it could always come down to just the money aspect, how much money have you generated, how much investment returns have you generated throughout your time that makes you the best. But then it's also like a little bit like right now, the current market that we're in right now, who's the one that's going to make the, the first right move? You know, it's interesting right now to see uh, the big company Predium just did a $1.5 billion deal with DR Horton, a national home builder, to acquire a bunch of their products throughout the country as they come to CFO. Seeing that deal happening right now is probably the biggest one we've seen in 2023 for at least in my industry of real estate investing, uh, especially on the residential side. So seeing if that's going to play out well, especially since right now you're starting to see prices 
uh, for construction start to stabilize, which is nice. But then the interest rate fluctuation right now, nobody knows how to underwrite a deal because you don't know what your debt's going to be. Your cost of money is going up. So a lot of people are a lot more hesitant to actually invest money right now. But then it's the people that will invest during downtimes that end up having the largest returns. So there's a little bit of that balance too when it comes to best. It's like who can time the market the best? Who can operate under extreme pressure the best during these times? And not only not have their company fall through, but actually come out on the better side after the market starts to turn. Is it the same in real estate where you have to be accredited to invest? It depends. Like my company, we only taking accredited investors. And I know that they actually just changed it, uh, the accredited <laughs> definition, where it's like it's actually making it easier for people now yeah. to become accredited. Where I think you're now allowed to use your primary residency towards your total net worth, which before you weren't able to use that, which I think is one, or maybe it's like a secondary residence. I don't know. You'll probably find the definition. but And then it's like probably like 200000 annual uh, salary, and then I think two fifty, three hundred for uh, if you're you and your spouse, and then you have to have a net worth of a million dollars, I believe it is. Damn, that's lowering the bar? I forgot, but no, I know, I know, it's still like, <laughs> well, that's the thing about accreditation is the fact is like, we want to make sure that these people have the funds to be able to invest into these these investment products, because when you're looking at it, every single investment you make, there's no guarantee that you're going to make the money that you're supposed to. That's yeah. why you hire professionals to be able to operate it. That's what my company is, Pintar Investment Company. We're literally like the the syndicator. We're the ones that have the experience. We're the ones that have been doing it for so many years, and we've seen successful product, projects go through. And so we, get, we are able to analyze the market, do our due diligence, underwrite the project, and then show the returns where they should be based off of our best guesstimation. Because no one knows the future. Everything's a guesstimation in the end of the day. But Ooh, it's the ones that that's a SAT. That's an SAT word. Guesstimation. I don't even think it's a word. Throw it on there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it fits perfect. Guesstimation. Right <laughs> <laughs> and then you just move. You just gotta hope that it's gonna work out. And then the best best business uh, partners, as we go back to that, are the ones that are able to navigate when you know shit hits the fan when some all of a sudden you get you miss uh paying your taxes this one time and then you gotta figure out how you gotta get get that recovered or try to figure out how to appeal your taxes there's so many different things that can happen in an investment that the experience aspect definitely plays a role into the trust when people come to invest with you yeah yeah absolutely well rex it's uh it's been great chatting with you man and thanks for for coming on and uh uh, taking ta- taking a day out of your Sunday in the snowy mountains of Orange County to, to chat with me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe on Spotify or give us a like or a follow on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. You know where to find us at Athletes and Assets. <laughs>